Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, Celtics fans? Happy Monday. I hope everybody had a good weekend. Eh, an okay weekend. I know that last loss was a little bit tough to take, Busby and all that. But, you know, when Luka Doncic does what Luka Doncic does, there's not really much you can do. As usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, Mr. Greg Manakis, fresh off just headlining the hell out of somewhere in Austin, Texas, rocking it, making people realize that his band's about to blow up. What's going on, Greg? What up, man? Yeah, that show was crazy. Last time I was on, I think we previewed that I was going to have that show at this uh, venue called Mohawk down here in Austin. And it, it, so it was a Wednesday night. It was the night of that or- Orlando game. And down here, it was a cold, rainy Wednesday, right? So you're not expecting a lot of people to show up to a cold, rainy Wednesday show. But we had a really good turnout. Um, we rocked the house, got to play with a, a few bands that uh, I really respect. This dude, Tone Royal, that's a beast down here. This guy, Jefferson Clay, that's going to blow up in the next two years. He's amazing. He sounded better live than he does on his recordings, which is always hard to do. Um, but we had a great turnout, man. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's dream come true for me, for sure. And now we're just trying to build that momentum. Black Sheep Optimist, for those of you that are listening, man, come check us out. We just released a new song called Tomorrow um, that actually kind of talks about um, the mental health st- struggles of society, um, but in in a more uplifting way. Uh, so we put that out uh, last Tuesday. And yeah, we're just building momentum, man. Appreciate you. Uh, let me talk about that. Of course, man. Of course. I remember you hit me up like, hey, man, uh, here, here's the song. I'm like, yeah, I'll check it when it drops tomorrow. And you're like, nah, 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 dude. Like, that's how you can tell I, squ- I skim read the message, right? Like, I'm like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, you're like, nah, dude, it's not coming out tomorrow. It's called tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, that's my bad, dude. That's my bad. You know, when you get caught skim reading something, I'm like, oh, man. But, I had it in uh, quotation marks and everything for you. <laughs> no, right, man. And I'm just like, uh, uh, yeah, I didn't really clock on. So that's my bad. That's my bad. It's, uh, it's, I'll tell you what, dude, with the amount of Celtic stuff going on and all those Marcus Smart like comments and then you know you're reading off the Udoka comments that he made about Brown in public then you get the smart comments that are made in public but then you get Kendrick Perkins calling out Marcus Smart for what he said and saying it in public then there's Brad Stevens saying he would have rather it been kept in house like my brain was going like left right center up down backwards so to anyone DMing me this week has generally just been skim red and like I'll respond <laughs> Like, so, so don't feel like it was just you. I was just like, man, there's so much going on. And then you're trying to psychoanalyze it all, which is just a stupid idea in the first place. Well, at least so you didn't apologize. leave me. Yeah, at least you didn't leave me on red. So I'm cool with that. Oh, yeah. I've done that to a bunch of people. And I don't mean to. Like, I'm not Hollywood. Like, you know what I mean? Sometimes I leave someone on red for two days and I'm so apologetic. I'm like, man, I, I, I've like wrote my, wrote my reply out to them. 
and just not hit send because you know like i've been asked to go get something for the kid or i've had mm-hmm. to run out to the grocery store and then i come back and i forget and then two days later i'm like these guys have not responded to me why not then i click into it and i'm like oh no i didn't respond to them <laughs> so <laughs> Hey, you're a man of the people, but you're a busy man of the people. And that I think these days people need to realize that, man, like I'm, I'm the same way. I have so many messages that I think I've responded to that I have not responded to. And I always feel so bad. And I like try and, you know, the next time I see that person before I get a chance to actually respond, if I haven't responded yet, I'm like, I just got to call it what it is and be like, hey, man, my bad. You know, you yeah. can't let that stuff linger. Can't let that linger because some people start to think you're big time in them. Like you said, we're not Hollywood here. Yeah, I ain't, I'm far from Hollywood, dude. I'm 7,000-something hundred miles from Hollywood. I am far. <laughs> it's cold. It's wet. Like, dude, it's been like, um, I think the last few days has been like 31 degrees. So, like, uh, I'm not I'm not enjoying being here. So, I'm definitely not Hollywood. It's just, you know, sometimes you get busy, and I do apologize. If anyone's listening has DM me, then I haven't responded to you. Feel free to DM me, DM me again. Like, yo, hit send on that last message. But, you know, as I said, I kind of touched on everything that people were talking about, Smart, Udoka, mm-hmm. and then it's just been wild, man. And then for Smart to go and have those last 30 seconds that he had, which, Sheesh. you know, I think Keith Smith said it best when he put a tweet out earlier saying, Smart makes bad decisions frequently, but it's very rare that he makes a mental error like he did mm-hmm. in yesterday's game, right? And um, I don't know if you saw Adoka's quotes, but Adoka was like, that wasn't the game plan to foul, wasn't the game plan. But I didn't tell everybody that that wasn't the game plan. So I've got to mm-hmm. do a better job of like vocalizing that. Like, so I think that's where I want to start. Like, is this a mistake? Are you is this a mistake on Udoka, or is he trying to protect his player by taking taking the blame himself? Like, wh- what angle do you think that's coming from? Do you think he's being honest or? I, I do think he's being honest because when Smart gives the foul, you can see that he communicates to Marcus in the moment that he we shouldn't have done that. Marcus like kind of looks up at the time and score, and he's like, "Oh man, he he," you know, he kind of like disagrees in the moment, but like realizes maybe he did make a mistake. But as a coach, I I agree, man. Like in that situation, Dallas calls a timeout. What is communicated in that? in that huddle if not hey we are following or we're not following we have a file to give like how is that not communicated with, with the team I wonder what they talked about in that last time out because to me as you know I'm a basketball coach I'm a high school basketball coach like I would definitely bring that up um, but it's different you know with NBA players you maybe assume that they know but at the same time like in the heat of the moment I think everyone needs to be on the same page for something as monumental as are we following or are we not following, you know? Um, so I, I think that Udoka, it was nice to see him t- hold himself accountable for that because I haven't seen much of him holding himself accountable. I've seen him holding other people accountable um, with his words in the media, as you said earlier. So it was nice to see him, you know, put the blame on himself and not blame Marcus Smart because he's already started pointing fingers at people for, for messing up this year. And, I, I do think it was Udoka's fault for not communicating that and everybody in the huddle for not communicating that with each other. That seems very obvious where it's like, hey, we have a file to give, but we're not giving it because we want to get the ball back. Like that's that that's where the conversation should have been. It's a very simple conversation. I don't know why it didn't happen, but at the same time, Marcus Smart should not have made that foul and he should have been, you know, he's one of the most aware heady players on the court at all times. You would think that he would understand um, you know, time, score, situation and in that moment, he didn't. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, as you say, where's that communication coming from? You've battled back from like a 17, 18 point deficit. You fought your way all the way through the third quarter, went on another huge run. 
that the Celtics have done two games in a row now. I feel like that their defensive runs have always come when their backs are against the wall. And that's the Celtics that we've seen over the last few years. But it's mm. also the Celtics that get very comfortable with starting slow because they feel like they can always chase down a lead, right? But you you fight, and that's a story for another day. That's just kind of a an observation I've got about like that core. They're very comfortable starting slow because they always feel like they can run down whoever breaks out in front of them. Mm-hmm. But then you like, you know, you fight all the way back, you you exert all this energy only to not communicate something as pivotal as, hey, we're not going to foul here because we want that final offensive possession. We want to be the ones controlling the narrative at the last second of that shot clock. If you foul, you give up that opportunity. Um, so I, I was kind of I was kind of shocked. I mean, obviously, Marcus Smart's just doing what he he thinks is right in that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not great coming off that that shot against um, Paul Zingas, driving in off the corner and going trying to draw a foul off him using a move that hasn't been called all season. Like mm-hmm. we talk about Tatum's struggle with the physicality. You, you look at Harden, who's struggling to draw fouls at the moment. Trey Young has spoke about the difficulty of getting to the free throw line this year. So Marcus Smart making that mistake with Paul Zingas, followed by the foul. Like, um, I mean, people were out for him today. The pitchforks came out in uh, in plenty. So yeah. I d- I, I'm just like, yo, it's like when he ever, and I do think, and I don't know if you agree with me here, but because he spoke about Tatum and Brown in the media and like put that stuff out very publicly to then go and make, have such pivotal mistakes in the very last few seconds, all of the good work he'd done, we've hitting that go ahead free with being a very reliable playmaker down the stretch. All of that goes out the window because you're already already under such a big microscope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, with that last play, let's start with the Porzingis play, right? Because the Celtics have an opportunity to take the lead in that situation, right? I think it's one Oh four, one Oh four. We have the ball with about like 40 seconds left. We have an opportunity to call a timeout. We do not call a timeout, which is mistake. Number one, I think. Because I, you know, we know that Dallas is double teaming Tatum. You can draw up a play to beat that double team, and instead Udoka kind of just let it run out. Which you know, you, you can debate that Dallas can put their best defensive lineup on the court if you call a timeout, so on and so forth. But if you go back and you watch that play, there's just so much chaos, right? Tatum draws the double team. He swings the ball, swings the ball. When Smart gets the ball, Tatum is still standing by half court, right? First of all, like. If a timeout is called, you can communicate to Tatum, hey, when they when you give up the ball, if that's what you want, now relocate. Go go to the corner, cut to the basket. Tatum does not even move until he sees Marcus start to drive on Porzingis, and by that time it's too late. Maybe Marcus doesn't shoot that shot if Tatum relocates to the wing and Marcus sees him for a skip pass for a three-pointer. You know what I mean? Also, on that play, Robert Williams, the moment smart gets the ball he just kind of ducks his head and runs to the opposite block rather than like sealing on the low block as luke is rotating he could have gone and set a ball screen for Porzing- on porzingis so that smart can drive and then you run a pick and roll action for a lob um so it's it's easy to kind of point the finger at smart and say hey you know that you you shouldn't flop in that situation but if you look a lot of people made mistakes on that play including tatum and rob williams and udoka for not calling a timeout in my opinion um but I was, I was watching the Miami Heat game back, and there were a couple times in that game, Marcus actually got that call where he drove into Deadman. Um, Deadman hit him with his hip. Mar- Marcus kind of flopped and just threw the ball up. And, um, you know, when he drew that contact, the, the refs gave it to him. So it's not like it hasn't been called all year. In fact, in the last game, it was called twice for Marcus. So 
I get it. Porzingis, in my opinion, did follow him as well. Um, but on that play, to me, it's more on Udoka to call a timeout and set up the play that they want because I don't know if Marcus Smart, you know, driving against Porzingis is the guy you want with the ball in his hands at that moment because to me it's got to be Tatum Tatum's on a heater all game he's having his best game of the year um get the draw draw something up to get Tatum a shot in that situation because I don't want Marcus Smart taking that shot and to me to blame Marcus for that is probably a little too much you see so when I rewatched that play two or three times one and um one of the first things I noticed was Tatum kind of standing stationary. But if you watch his movements, he current he kind of mirrors Marcus Smart's drive. So as Marcus Smart drives middle, you see Tatum start to sink. And when he mm-hmm. sinks, he sinks from the from the slot onto the wing. So he's now open and he's pretty much in a vertical line of sight with Marcus Smart. And, you know, Smart's obviously making the uh, perimeter defender that's on Tatum kind of pinches in a little bit so he can stunt mm-hmm. on Smart if Smart continues to drive. It's a difficult pass to make, though, because you do have to put some zip on it while you're in motion. So it's not the easiest pass. So I do agree that there should have been a ball screen or a bat screen just to kind of open up either a passing opportunity or an ability to curl off the screen and get a a better look than what Smart actually ended up getting. I do think that against Deadman and players like that, that was more after drive than it was after shot, right? Like Smart jumped into him. It was kind of like a like that veer step, but without having the guy behind you. It was a very much a non-basketball movement, in my opinion. But I get it. If, if the referees aren't calling that consistently, and one game you're getting the call, the next game you're not getting the call, then you're going to go with what you've done all the way up in your career up until this point. The fact that they're not calling it now, well, the muscle memory hasn't set in yet that you can't continue to to make that movement and try and get yourself to the line. It was just For me, it was just a bad idea to try and put up a floater which is what it looked like it was going to be over like a seven foot two, seven foot three Kristaps Porzingis. Because under no circumstances are you are you at Marcus Smart at like six two, six three, six four going to have a beneficial jump shot over Kristaps Porzingis when he's riding your hip. But you, I, I do agree, like some off ball movement would have opened that up a little bit. It, like I say, I just feel like he's under the microscope a little bit more because of his comments earlier in the week. And then obviously, you know, you make one or two bad plays in succession that people would then ultimately say cost the team the game. Whether or not that's fair to put all of that on Marcus Smart's shoulders a discussion within itself. But it's definitely like um, he definitely bore the brunt of Celtics fans because of that. And I do think he's put himself in that position with those comments earlier in the week. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough, definitely a tough uh, game to have to end that three-game trip. But I think overall the three-game trip was a success. But I want to talk about that last possession one more time with after Marcus fouls Luca, right? Because we we still can get a stop, and then that three-pointer, that foul doesn't matter, right, if we get a stop in that situation. And this is something you and I talked about on the last pod. I still don't see Udoka making the correct substitutions in, like, situational um, moments, right? So Dallas calls a timeout. One of the things I mentioned earlier was we didn't call a timeout because you don't want the other team to put their best defensive lineup on the floor, right? They probably take out Porzingis if you call a timeout. They probably put in Finney Smith. You know, they they get they get Powell back on the court. And the Celtics, when Dallas calls a timeout, we kept the same lineup out there. And if you go back and you watch that last play, the first thing that happens is there's a Porzingis sets a ball screen for Luca to get a switch, right? So Luca gets Jay Rich on him. And if you look, the low man on the opposite side of the court is Dennis Schroeder. So Dennis Schroeder's on the left block. If, in my opinion, Al Horford should be in the game there, right? If, if, if 
you're going to leave Schroeder on the low block. Why not have Al Horford be on that low block in that situation, right? So Smart switches on to Porzingis. And I think if Horford's in the game, Smart doubles the ball, right? You get the ball into Porzingis, roll into the basket, and Horford's able to step up and take that away versus Schroeder step up and take that away. Now, once Luka goes left, he's going to the left, the left wing. Robert Williams is standing right there. I think he was on Bullock. And as Luka's dribbling to his left hand, Robert Williams is stationary. He just watches Luka Doncic take the shot instead of running at Luka and forcing an action, right? A pass to the corner. Maybe it gets deflected. Uh, maybe he cuts back door. And if Al Horford's in the game instead of Schroeder, you know, we have a backline defender to take away a cut. So, like, it's easy to kind of blame Marcus for for the um, for the timeout, but we still did not execute the coverage down down the stretch. We didn't double Luca and get the ball out of his hands, just like they double Tatum to get the ball out of his hands. It's kind of it was kind of tough to double once we decided not to double that initial action with Porzingis. But to me, that should have been the double team right there, and that should have been communicated by Udoka, like double the ball, get the ball out of Luca's hands. So, I mean, I I don't. I think Marcus, as you said, is kind of a lightning rod for all the criticism because he did make the most glaring mistake and he was the one that was pointing the finger at other people earlier in the week. But I think that's the easy way out. Like there are other situations, other people that are to blame that did not step up when they could have stepped up. I mean, Jason Tatum, even though he had a great game, he didn't block out um, Porzingis on that put back dunk with like a minute left. You know, you could point the finger at so many people. And I, I don't think it's fair to point the finger at Marcus, even though I was like, what are you doing in that moment when he fouled? One more thing I wanted to point out, though, I actually rewatched the game this morning, but I, I like watching the rewatch with the uh, away broadcasters rather than rewatching with the home broadcasters just to get a different perspective. And that whole time after the timeout, they were they were saying, oh, the Celtics have a foul to give. Expect the Celtics to give the foul. Right. So even though we disagreed with Marcus's thinking in that situation, the other broadcast team was like, oh, there's the foul to give. You know, they didn't even consider the the time and score in that situation. So that's just another perspective on it. And for me, I don't want to blame Marcus for that because I thought he played a heck of a game defensively. The the ball pressure he put on Luca, picking him up full court in the second half, I thought was a real game changer. And I think he's been playing really great basketball since he made those comments. And I think it's a little unfair to point the finger at him for for um, what he did down the stretch. Yeah, you know, I mean, I either. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm the same. Like, uh, you know, he he willed. He was a very big part of willing that team back into the game in the first place. Like, he made a lot of smart decisions. You know, his his connection with Robert Williams in the pick and roll is just continuing to get better with that love threat, the room pressure he puts on in that pick and roll because of that connection. Defense was solid. Playmaking was really good. As I say, he put himself under a microscope with those comments. And unfortunately, no matter how well you've played for three quarters or three and a half quarters, those final few minutes, if you make a mistake when the, when the pressure is at its highest, unfortunately, you've put yourself in a position to be the guy to receive that criticism. Now, do, do I think their defense is as good as what we've seen? Like, I thought their defense was good throughout the game. They're definitely going through stretches now where things are clicking, guys are rotating. They're not switching everything anymore. It's very much switch on contact, with, which is how it should be. I don't want to see soft switches at any point anyway. And I think since they've made that little adjustment now, so, you know, you pick your man up on the perimeter or in the corners or on the block. Only time you switch is if you, someone gets beat off a pick and roll or if there's contact. 
then you make that switch. I think they look a lot better because of that. But I do agree, like, hey, if you want to get the ball out of Lucas' hands, you should trap him early and you should trap him aggressively. And as long as there's a guy there to tag tag Porzingis on the roll while somebody put, rotates over who can challenge that shot due to their size, then that's what you do. You take more. And even if they do score two, hopefully you've got enough time to get up the floor, call a timeout, get up the floor, and mm -hmm. get one of your shooters an easy look. Doesn't always work out, but hey, you, you're already going to lose the game if Luca hits a step back like he did. So be it. Um, moving on, I mean, I think we could talk like this whole Marcus Smart thing, in my opinion, is kind of just like uh, it's insane. Like, there's a bunch of people that are anti Marcus Smart. There's a bunch of people that no matter what happens, Marcus Smart's never going to do no wrong. Then there's a load of people in the middle. And finding that middle ground is tough because there are games where he plays exceptionally well and really contributes to winning. There's other games where he'll make the other mistake, but this guy is is not a superstar, so he's meant to make mistakes. That what that's what role players do. He doesn't get paid like Tatum or Brown, so you can't hold him to the same standards as Tatum or Brown. Yeah, um, and, and just one more quick thing: if Dennis Schroeder and Jason Tatum communicate on that last rebound, right, that goes off of Tatum's foot, Marcus Smart hits the biggest shot of the game. He hit that three pointer to put us up two, one hundred four, one hundred two. And then the ball goes off of Tatum's foot and they get the put back dunk from Porzingis and the game's tied, right? So Marcus could have been the hero of the game because he only took, I think, four shots. And that last shot that he hit was such a was such a big shot. So, you know, it, it could have gone either way. Um, I think it's easy when you when you have one when you're when you're talking very reactionarily to one game, then it's easy to point the finger at somebody. But overall, I've actually been really happy with how Marcus has played since uh since the comments that he made but i, I yeah i mean that's that's the fickle nature of the game though right like you know mm -hmm. what you i mean tatum said it i'll read out the quote um i've pulled off a couple of quotes our record doesn't show it we're four and five four and six two double overtime games you know a buzzer beater couple of possessions from being six or six and three you know though that that's the nature of the game that one bad play can be the difference between you being six and three or mm -hmm. six and two you know so there are times it's the slow starts aren't helping the stretches where you're dominating on defense to me they're great and they're encouraging but why is this not becoming more consistent i'm not asking you to dominate for full solid quarters the nba is too tough and this year it's very physical i'm loving it but that physicality makes it harder to to lock guys down for a full 48 but one stretch where you can go 25 and three and then another stretch where you can't shoot a lick for like four or five minutes and you're really struggling to find your offense, that needs to change. There needs to be a little bit more give on the offense and a little bit more take from the defense. But, you know, a lot of that falls on Jason Tatum. They run a bunch of actions for him. Um, they'd love to get him in the mid post. They've been trying to get him going from the wing and setting some back screens to get him on the rip through. Uh, we're starting to see that pay dividends now. I think it's took him some time to adjust to that physicality himself rather than trying to draw the foul in this game. I felt like he was driving, like, if I get the foul, I get the foul, but I'm going to finish this layup no matter what. And that aggression really paid dividends. What was it? 32 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, two steals. Like, this was the best game he's had all year. And I remember thinking to myself earlier in the week, and I don't know if you agree, this start to the season, in my opinion, has been the roughest stretch of basketball Tatum's had since turning professional. Since mm -hmm. coming to the NBA, the last few weeks has probably been the most trying in terms of... Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Um, shut volume compared to conversion rate that he's ever had in the league um, and plus the criticism that comes with it because if he did that in his rookie year second year third year there's other star names around him there's Gordon Hayward Kyrie Irving Kemba Walker that can take a bit of that pressure off him now he doesn't have that luxury if his shots aren't falling the team are really going to feel that difference yeah and I think when you start the season either if you start the season really hot or if you start the season really cold all the attention is on you, right? If if he has this bad stretch in February, then not as many people are talking about it. But because it's right at the beginning of the season with the team struggling and you want to get off to a good start and you have all these expectations with a new coach and Jason Tatum is the pillar of the Celtics, one of the two pillars, and he's a potential MVP candidate, when you hear all that, you you expect him to to deliver and he hasn't delivered right Jalen Brown's been the better of the two players through through the first eight games or whatever like by far so to see Tatum you know and Tatum had that 40 point game earlier in the year so he did have one one great game but he was you know I think he was like 12 for 24 in that game you know it wasn't like the 50 percent's not bad but it, it wasn't the most efficient game um and his three point shot really wasn't falling and now, um, after this game, hopefully we can see more of the Jason Tatum that we're accustomed to seeing because it, he looked like the confident guy. He was out of his own head. You know, anytime he made a shot in previous games, he was like, oh, finally, I made a shot. I'm like, why hasn't this been happening? You know, and last night it was like once he hit the first shot, it was expected to go in. And that's the Jason Tatum that we expect to see is when he shoots it, he expects that ball to go in. You know, he's not relieved when it goes in. And that, I think that that's the difference right now is if Tatum can get to the point where he's playing with the confidence that he knows he can play with, the Celtics are going to be fine, you know, because we're going to go as far as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can take us. I know JB's out with the hamstring right now, but, you know, there are trends, although we're four and six and we need to we need to get to 500 as soon as possible. And last night was was a great opportunity to do that. As long as Jason Tatum is playing with confidence and you know, having another great shot chart, the Daryl Morey shot chart. If you look at uh, Jason Tatum's shot chart from last night, it's beautiful. I think there's only like two or three mid-range shots, uh, eight three-point attempts or whatever it was, and then everything else at the rim. And I, I think Tatum, you know, he, he, he's, he had a rough start, but last night could be the moment where we say, okay, Tatum figured it out in Dallas, and now Celtics are going to be just fine. Yeah, so for me, it's like it's, it's not the volume that – I'm asking for like if you're shooting 50% on 24 shots, that's not good because you've took 12, you've killed 12 possessions, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're shooting 50% on eight attempts, well, that's okay because realistically you only killed four possessions. So I'd, I'm asking for a more judicial shot selection with a higher conversion rate. You know, yeah. at this game, I think it was like what 63.2% or something from the field. That's what you're asking for from Tatum. And that's why you encourage him to get to the rim more because he has the physicality and the size to be able to finish around the rim more frequently. 
and then you can build out towards the three-point line because Tatum very is very much a rhythm player. Now, I do believe that mid-range shots have value, but I don't think that value is really shown until the playoffs when defenses mm -hmm. are much more stringent. So, you know, asking him to take two, three mid-range shots a game, that's fine for me, just to keep that rhythm going. So he, he's got his distance, his reference points are all there for when the playoffs come. And now there's going to be a bunch of space behind the perimeter defense because most bigs are just going to be in drop and there's going to be a lot of um, mid-range opportunities. So two, three, four opportunities from mid-range each game is fine. But I agree, you want that Maury ball type. So, you know, a, a ton of attempts at the rim, a bunch of attempts from free, very little in that mid-range area. But again, for me, it's more along the lines of if you're taking volume, I need you converting at a higher percentage as well because mm -hmm. of the amount of dead possessions that fall off otherwise. You know what it just came to mind as you were talking there when you started talking about the playoffs? Last year, we started to see a little bit of that Jason Tatum floater, right? When he snaked the pick and roll, um, you know, from 10 feet from the basket. I don't really think I've seen that this year from him. Most of the mid-range stuff is like pull-up jumpers or fadeaways. I wonder if that's something that he's going to bring back into his repertoire. Because I, I thought that was starting to become a nice little weapon for him. And when you look forward to the playoffs, God willing, we make it. Um you know, that's a, that's a shot we're going to need. And I think all the best players in pick and roll right now have that shot. So I, I, I was, I'm just going to keep an eye out to see if he, he brings that back into his repertoire moving forward. So I'm not sure if that's an Udoka thing as well, right? Like Udoka's referenced this big boy ball on numerous occasions now. While big boy ball is posting your man up or driving through the lane and absorbing contact and finishing around the rim, big boy ball doesn't involve a floater because you're mm -hmm. bailing out of the contact at that point. So I don't know whether that's something that the coaching staff have asked him to kind of shy away from, at least while he adjusts to the physicality, adjusts to the shot profile that the team are requesting him to have. Because obviously a new system means a new shot profile. And this gets me onto something else. I was talking to somebody, and this kind of goes off topic a little bit, but I want your opinion on this. I was talking to somebody about the difference between having a scheme and having a set of principles, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of teams run off schematics you know, they've run their scheme involves when to go zone, when to switch, when to snake pick and rolls, and every, down to the minutiae of when to go pistol, when to set a five out, when to post up, when to go horns. While other teams have principles, and their principles, like the Milwaukee Bucks are a principle based team, they're not a scheme based team. That's why when one of their players go down, somebody else steps in and has a a respectable game because they play to a set of principles rather than to just the schematics. Schematics rely on talent. Principles rely on understanding. The triangle-based offense is more of a principle-based offense. Mm -hmm. um, so Udoka has implemented a schematic-based offense. Now, that's great because you've got two high-level all-star guys. But part of me feels like that this team, with the depth that they've got and how many players are already missing time, Part of me wishes that they would implement more of a, a principle-based offense. Like, hey, we want to we want to push the pace all the time. Uh, if it's principle-based, you know it's going to be. If you're coming down, we want you to be setting drag, drag screens and flowing into something. There's got to be a flow rather than a scheme. I mean, am I making sense? Mm -hmm. in, in, like, yeah, and I I just don't know that I I would say what we're doing is a scheme. You know, to me, it it feels like. Ud when when we're playing well on offense, right, or just as a team, right, what are our principles actually going to be? I think Udoka's principles are we want to be a high-pressure defensive team that creates a lot of turnovers, a lot of deflections, gets out in transition, and pushes the pace, right? To me, that's more of a principled thing. Um, and then I think he wants a lot of drive and kick action, you know, and when when we get into iso ball, 
Um, I just don't think that that's going to end up. That's not how Udoka wants to play. Udoka wants a lot of ball movement. He wants guys touching the paint and kicking out the shooters. He wants guys attacking the rim. And to me, that's more of a principal thing. So what are you seeing in terms of the scheme from him? See, see, this is the thing, right? So for me, and I, I, this is the dialogue I wanted because I haven't decided yet whether Udoka's mm-hmm. implementing a scheme or a principle, but at the minute it feels very more schematic. Okay. Like, so a principle defense would be you switch when there's contact, you tag the roll man, you scrum, you scram guys out of there. You know, if you run a veer back, which I've spoke about a bunch since Udoka mm-hmm. took over, the first thing you should do is look to scram that little guy off that veer back yep. as quick as possible. That's a principle-based thing. A scheme-based thing is, no, you leave the little man boxing out and limiting the big because you want the big to foul by jumping over the back. or And you live with the results if the big dominates and basically manhandles the small out the way. On offense, it's going to be much more... A principle would be to run... You know, you flow into screening action. So when Tatum gets the ball on the on the block or the mid post, you would flow into a cross screen or you would flow into a high pick and roll to get a guy cutting on the weak side that you could hit. Whereas the schematic thing would be you post up Tatum, you run a screen to get somebody open, and it's very much a a, a designed play. Like Tatum mm. gets the ball here, player X screens for player Y, player Y receives the ball, and then you do X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. I just feel like the offense that we've seen to this point doesn't feel like it flows. It feels like it's regimented. Like they're like, right, when, yeah. like, um, I don't know for anyone that does jujitsu that's listening, you have 10th planet jujitsu and the way they train and I've trained with them before is very much a, you have, you do what's called the warmups and you have different scenarios and in each scenario. So if someone's got you in an arm bar, you have scenario A, B and C. And you use one of those scenarios to escape the armbar and then to counter with your own move. That's regimented. That's schematic. It's not principle-based. Whereas if you do like Gracie Baja Jiu-Jitsu, everything's principle-based. It's um, weight distribution. It's physical pressure and exertion. And you 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 build, you develop your Jiu-Jitsu based on those principles. Similar mm-hmm. like you either run a schematic offense where it's you flow from X to B to A and you you switch between these rather than principle where everything is just more free flow, more unpredictable. And I yeah. think that's why teams like the Bucks and the Spurs over the years and definitely like the Phil Jackson Bulls, Phil Jackson Lakers were very unpredictable was because everything flowed and you couldn't predict what that next step was yeah. going to be. And uh, I've just been watching the Celtics, really asking myself that question: Are they schematic or are they principled? That, that that's a good question. I think um, that's a good frame for me to watch the next next couple of games, and if I go back and watch tape, because I would say that Udoka wants to be principled, um, but to get to principles, you have to have a scheme first, I think, in order to allow people to free flow within within that and to be more principled within that scheme. Um, so that yeah, that's something I'll definitely keep an eye on. Um, I think that for this team to reach its potential, and when we have played our best, I think we're going to be a principled team where it's just drive and kick, read and react um, in crunch time, get the ball to Tatum, and and let him go to work, right? But to get Tatum into that point where we can let him go to work, he needs to be in a rhythm. We can't just force the ball to Tatum. You know, if if JB has it going, we can get it to JB. But to me, it's like we're, we're going to be read and react until, you know, crunch time. And then it's Jason Tatum carry us home. I don't know if that's necessarily the best recipe for success, but I do think that is what Ime Adoka wants this team to be. 
Yeah, I mean, and look, man, it's like a recipe, right? Like, you know, you have to learn the recipe before you can add in your own touch on a mm -hmm. dish. Like, you know, yeah. I have to follow a regimented set of instructions, understand why those instructions work, how the taste flavor, like how the flavors and the taste is affected by each ingredient. And then you can start saying, right, I'm going to add paprika instead of this. It's going to be very much the same, but you'll always, you know, if it's soup, you still always want bread on the side. Down the mm -hmm. crunch time, you always want Tatum having the ball in his hands. Tatum's the bread while the rest of the team's the soup. I'm using the, um, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? A metaphor right now. Um, but no, I get it. And like, like I say, I just kind of threw this out there because it's a question I've been asking myself when I look at, um, and it's something that really intrigues me. Like, you know, are you, for me, the way this roster is built right now with the multitude of ball handlers that they've got across the, you know, Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson. Then you've got Tatum as a ball handler more. Brands dribble looks better and they're trying to implement him as a ball handler more. Al Horford's bringing the ball up off of rebounds. With that mm -hmm. many... I love that, by the way. Yeah, me too. With that many ball handlers on the roster, you need to have an air of unpredictability about you. The point of having so many guys that are free, triple threats, you know, when you're a kid and you're learning pass, dribble, shoot, and you're that type of triple threat. Mm -hmm. Like The point of having a plethora of these dudes is because of the unpredictable, unpredictability. Unpredictability. There we go. Unpredictability <laughs> that they bring, you know what I'm saying? So like, um, it's just something that I found mega interesting recently, and it's something that I'm kind of, looking at and trying to figure out what teams are schematic and what teams are principled and it's difficult to tell to be quite honest it's mm -hmm. usually when a play breaks down and a schematic team will struggle to get in you know there's 14 seconds left a schematic team will struggle and will just go a bit wild while a principal team will just keep flowing and flowing and flowing and moving like water so, and, uh, let me let me ask you this question would you consider this a principle because i would so last night it seemed like anytime we could get um, a mismatch. We were hunting that mismatch with a quick on a big, right? So Schroeder, if Schroeder ever had a mismatch on a switch, it was get the ball back to Schroeder with a live dribble and let him go to work. Um, would you consider that schematic or principled? So I'd consider the principle being you beat the big off the dribble. If you're small and faster, you beat the big off the dribble. Mm -hmm. How you get that mismatch is where the schematic or the principle comes in, right? Because okay. if you're hunting that mismatch and you're setting a single screen, you don't get the mismatch. So now you go into, I don't know, a dribble handoff into a Chicago set for argument's sake, because we're all aware of what that is. So say you do that, well, that's more schematic because you tried to go into your principle of attacking the big. It didn't work. So you just went to the next step in the chain, right? right. Mm -hmm. like, like a flow chart. Did you get the switch? No. Pivot to dribble handoff. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's very schematic because it's regimented. Whereas yeah. if it was principle-based, it would be we set the screen. Okay, that one hasn't worked, so the ball handler's going to drive. We're going to find another opportunity to get that switch, or mm -hmm. we're going to get a different player switched onto that big that's going to yeah. be able to exploit him in a different way. It's not so much you attack the big with, with speed. It's you exploit a weakness within the chain, or you exploit... Um, you exploit a skill set that your team has that's rare. So like it's like getting Giannis on the route through all the time. That's a principle. How you mm -hmm. get to that point where he where you can exploit his physicality and pace. Now that that's where the principality or the schematics come into it. Do you flow into it or are you having to go through the flow chart to get to where you want to get to? It's more of an unconscious versus conscious effort, I think is what I'm kind of getting at. For sure. Um, I did want to talk about that the um, thing you put into the chat earlier, right? Right as we uh, hopped on the pod with Jason Tatum, though, because um, we probably got time for one more topic here. Do you want to go ahead and read that quote for everybody? 
yeah, I'm not much of a public reader. Whew. I, can I understand. <laughs> nah, uh, yeah, you do. You do. I'm not much of a public reader, dude. Like, you know, when you had to stand up in class at school, did you ever have to do this in the States and you have to like read out a chapter and then someone else will stand up and read out a chapter? So I went uh, to the school called Boston Latin School and we had this thing called declaration uh, where you had to memorize a P. No, declamation. Declamation. Yeah, that's what it's called. But you had to memorize like a famous piece of literature and perform it like a dramatic reading. And some people loved it. We had like declamation where we would do it in the in the um, concert hall, you know, the assembly hall in the school. And it was, it was like one of the coolest things in the world. I never did it because I wasn't good at it. But now I'm a teacher, bro. So like literally what I do for a living, aside from talk about basketball, is, you know, I'm speaking in front of people. And then I'm an MC for a hip hop band. So I'm constantly doing public speaking. So I got this. So, yeah, I'm doing public speaking, but not to the public. Does that make sense? I'm virtually yeah. public. It's, it's a completely different. Go ahead. It, it is different. I understand that I've got a platform. And that a lot of people look at what I say and what I do. And a lot of kids look up to me. I think addressing not always just the 60 and 50 point games in those big moments, but that your favorite, favorite player struggles. They miss shots. They get in slumps. Understanding I'm going to figure it out, it's a process. And it is frustrating. Not necessarily worrying about what people say about you, but the pressure I put on myself and the goals I want to obtain. I don't know if there's another part of that quote, but that's, that's where my quote ends that you put in the chat. Um, and to me, man, like this is just a larger societal conversation. I think when we talk about mental health, cause man, for Tatum to be this vulnerable in this moment through his Instagram. Okay, here we go. Here's the next part. The goals I want to obtain. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have anything to do with how good people think I am or how bad they think I'm playing. It's always internal. Me trying to be as great as I want to be that you go through tough times, but not to ever shy away from it. You got to be the same person when you're scoring 60 and the same person when you're three for 15 and losing a couple games. And I think everybody's looking at you. I think everybody saw the quote that Dame had that in tough times, you show your true character. And I think that's all I got. I think that's spot on. So (laughs) there we go. That that quote came in pieces. Um, But yeah, what I was going to say is I think that's such an important message to give man for for kids these days who are just like constantly comparing themselves to everybody else on social media and for tatum to have such a vulnerable yet self-aware perspective here i think that that bodes well for who he is as a as a person and as a as a superstar and a leader of a team right because people lead in different ways and you can be the kobe leader who who you know Michael Jordan type leader who's like, you know, you just got to, you got to man up and you got to get it done. Or you can be vulnerable and like kind of lead with love and lead with compassion for not only for other people, but for yourself as well. And I think that's what I see here is that Tatum is trying to set a good example and he's trying to recognize he's a human being. He's fallible. He's going to make mistakes and you can't get too high for the highs. You can't get too low for the lows. And this is really like the Brad Stevens philosophy, right? So you're seeing a a lot of Brad Stevens DNA in this quote. Um, and that's, that's what, that's what stood out to me when I saw this quote is that I think this is a very healthy perspective to have. And I think if more people, um, that talked about the Celtics had this perspective, our conversations would be a lot less reactionary, a lot less emotional and, um, just more rational. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of want to get your opinion on that. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. This is definitely a Brad Stevens mindset coming into play. And a lot of people need like either forget 
or fail to realize, like depending on how long they've been following the team for, it, that Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Tatum, all these guys only ever knew Brad Stevens' way of coaching from the moment they became a professional athlete. From the moment they came into the NBA, all they knew was the Brad Stevens way. It's only this season where they're having to adjust to a new coach, a new voice, a new methodology. So, you know, Tatum saying these things and having this outlook definitely is part of being coached and tutored through his formative NBA years, as we'd say, um, into who he is now. And look, this is a super healthy mentality. I mean, I like uh, people that listen, probably if you've been listening since the beginning, my friend Brendan, who covers the Kings, you know, Brendan, um, I, I hit up Brendan all the time with mentality like this, like like but from the opposite point where especially years ago, this industry will chew you up, man. So you're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, you're trying to progress. And I'm sure it's the same in music and what you you probably see this from your podcast side of view as well. You're trying to progress. You see people that get an opportunity and you're like, man, why didn't I get that opportunity? Why didn't this work? And you know, it's so easy to jump on Instagram and post. The, the call interviews, like post when I interviewed Haywood, I get to post that, post mm-hmm. one with Perk, post one with Gorman. But no one, but I never post the ones where I'm like, man, I'm just feeling really down today. I, like, you know, I've wrote this thing, no, everyone hated it. Or I released a podcast, everyone hated it. A guy that I've been called with for ages has just got this huge opportunity. It's made me feel like trash because I haven't got, like that takes mm-hmm. time. That's that you have to train your mentality to look at that from a positive light. And until yeah. you're in that, it's hard to do. So when he's when Tatum did say all this, it hit home for me because I'm like, I've had to evolve the way I think and the way I'm ha- like and teach myself that hey, like someone else's success isn't your failure, so, and your mm. struggles are valid. And that's exactly what he's saying. Like, look, man, there are going to be games where I struggle, but you need to see that to understand that when I'm hype and I am dropping sixty, you're going to appreciate it more because you know that I struggled internally when i was struggling and everybody goes through those those ups and downs as individuals so i think this was super important especially for the younger generation where everyone at the moment you know with the way especially like the way music is the way society is you're told to toughen up and you know you need to be the macho or you need to be really like um you you won't social media is filters and Mm-hmm. snapshots of people's best 10 seconds of their 10 the best two percent of their lives hit social media and yeah. everything everything that's salty with such a facade uh, i think this was an excellent um excellent quote and a super a, a great way of kind of connecting with people outside of basketball so i was all for this definitely and it reminds me of a, one of my favorite quotes is comparison is the thief of joy right yeah, if you're constantly com- yeah it's, it's one of my favorites when you when you're constantly comparing yourself to other people um, I actually mentioned this in my song tomorrow that came out. I said he was a victim of comparison. Um, I think that is one of the biggest things that we struggle with as a society, especially on social media, because you're just constantly comparing what you're doing on a day to day basis with the best snapshots of other people's lives. Right. And it, it's just real. It takes a toll on everybody mentally, especially young kids who now are trying, you know, if you look at the ball is life, um, ball is life videos and all those highlight videos, everything's a highlight tape, right? Life is a highlight tape on social media and there are going to be ups and downs within your life and within your career as Jason Tatum's pointing out here that you just gotta, you gotta be okay with, you gotta reconcile that within yourself, that that's all part of the process. But it also kind of made me think about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, right? If, if Jason Tatum has this mentality and he, you know, he, he understands that it is a process and it's not, you know, a, 
you're not comparing yourself to other people. You're just like trying to be the best version of yourself. You know, hopefully that continues to um, shine through in their relationship and they're, they're just rooting for each other's success and all the stuff that they say in the media about how much they love each other um, is actually true because we all want it to be true. And, you know, for this team to be as great as we know they can be, that's the healthy mentality they got to have. And you would expect Jalen Brown to have a similar philosophy to what Jason Tatum saying. Yeah. And that's the one thing I think that a lot of, um, a lot of fans are used to, a lot of the older school fans are used to the Kevin Garnett way of leadership, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the in your face, you MFA, you need to do this. And I'm going to really, I'm going to drag you by the scruff of the neck to victory. Mm-hmm. And everyone wants these guys to be tough. Tough is a, a keyword that's thrown around on social media across yeah. Facebook, Insta. These guys need to be tougher. These guys have no heart. They're not tough. It's just a different form of leadership. And calling for these guys to be tough and to, and you know, saying like, you know, people will be like, oh, well, the, these comments have beta energy. Like, that's such mm-hmm. a negative viewpoint within itself. And like, that's yeah. part of the problem. Um, so, no, I genuinely believe that Tatum and Brown have got their own forms of leadership. And Brown said as much last year, you know, there's different ways to lead. It doesn't, mm-hmm. you don't have to be the vocal, physical, I'm going to drag you towards the finish line. There can be, I'm going to encourage you to get towards the finish line. I'm, you know, I'm going to be approachable for you so you feel comfortable with me. There's so many different ways. And uh, I think what's happening at the minute is with what we've seen from Smart in the media, what we heard from Brad on Toucher and Rich, where he was like, I would have preferred things to stay in house. Tatum said similar. Tatum said, you know, um, here we go. We talked about it. We had a team meeting, I guess. But I know how to play basketball. I've been doing it a long time. Pretty successful at it. I've always made the right plays, but I'm not perfect. I've got things I can work on, and that's good. That's the good thing about it. As young as I am, as good as people think I am, I've got a lot to improve, and I'll be the first one to say that. But I'm also always going to play the game the right way, in the way that I was taught, in the way I've been playing my whole life, and that's never going to change. So you need to figure out what form of leadership is going to work. Do you need someone like Smart that's going to be vocal and call you out and not berate you or like degrade you, but basically put you on notice that he's frustrated? Or do you or does this team need the Tatum and Brown treatment where everything's a little bit more um a little bit more not casual but approachable, relatable and figuring out how this team reacts and what gets the best out of them. And then choosing who you need to be your vocal leaders based on that, that is going to be a huge, a huge win when Udoka can figure that out. Yeah, for sure. And as a coach, I think I think bringing up Udoka right there at the end is important, right? Because he's going to have to figure out which buttons to press, not only for the team, the culture he wants to set as a team, but individual. If there are some guys that he has to like kind of pull to the side and put his arm around because that's what they respond to, then that's what he's going to have to do. If there are some guys that respond to the old KG mentality, then that's what you have to do. There is not a one size fits all, you know, hat for leadership. And I think, you know, this quote from Jason Tatum, although some people might, you know, you you threw the word beta energy out there. Yeah, fine. If that's your perspective on things, but understand there's a whole sector of society that feels the complete opposite from you, right? And that it's okay if you disagree with Jason Tatum, but you can't say that he's wrong because that's what he believes, right? And whatever works for you is going to work for you. Whatever works for Jason Tatum is going to work for Jason Tatum. And to try and fit, you know, something onto Jason Tatum that doesn't fit him or Jalen Brown that doesn't fit him is just, I think that's too old school of a mentality to have. And forward thinking coaches and leaders will hopefully get this team to a point that for what works for them 
And that's what we need for the Celtics team. Yeah, I mean, we've gone through like a societal awakening over the last three or four years and understanding that and understanding who fits under what form of motivation and who responds best to hearing it from their teammates versus hearing it from a coach and vice mm -hmm. versa. And then implementing those motivational protocol protocols between those groups and figuring out how to portray the message in one go rather than having to speak to each guy individually because you don't have time to do that pre-game or during a huddle it, it's really tough i think the motivational part of being a coach is actually one of the most underrated in terms of difficulty because everybody's an individual and you've got 15 of these guys to keep happy and keep pumped up mm -hmm. it's tough anyway we've kind of ran over a little bit so uh if anyone's listening make sure you go check out greg's new song on his uh band black sheep optimist called tomorrow uh greg man anything you want to say before we bat um no i hope we didn't get too deep there for everybody but uh I, th I think that was a cool conversation to have with you man there's some high level stuff today um definitely gonna be keeping an eye out for the principles versus schematics and uh yeah everybody that's listening i appreciate you listening uh will should be back on the pod uh later this week and then hopefully we get a three-man weave going soon my friend yeah man i, I miss these three-man weaves man i think they flow so well Right. Any, anyone listening, make sure you go leave that five-star written review. Nice things only, please. If you're not able to leave the review, then you know the score. Tell your dog groomer, your your tailor, your personal shopper, the guy that your yacht salesman. I don't know what type of life you live in, but if you live in a life where people listen to podcasts, that you should be telling them to listen to this one. That's always the best way you can kind of promote us. I'd say wear merch, but we don't produce merch because, I, quite honestly, I just don't believe that that helps at all, and I'm not trying to take anyone's money um so everybody have a good day happy monday we'll be back again on wednesday if you want to watch the the tuesday recording that goes live on wednesday live um those every tuesday when we record for the wednesday will be live on the celtics black facebook page until then i bid you adieu a farewell goodbye Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating